For the first time in his epistle, Peter directly addresses the elders or leaders of the local church. While it appears odd to shift from trials and judgment to church leadership, the segue is quite natural. In 1 Peter 4.17, Peter said that it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Peter was alluding to Malachi 3 and Ezekiel 9, where God's judgment begins at the temple. Presently, the church is the temple of God. Thus, God's judgment begins with the church. More specifically, in light of Ezekiel 9.6, God's judgment upon His temple starts with the elders. Ezekiel 9.6 Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, and women. Do not touch any man on whom is the mark, and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. Hence, Peter addresses the elders of the church with a challenge so that they can avoid the judgment that the unregenerate will face. Peter will address the people of the church in light of this judgment in 1 Peter 5, 5 5-9. Now, the title elder, presbyteros, describes a Christian who is advanced in spiritual maturity. Notably, it's an individual appointed to direct or administrate the local church. The term is used almost 20 times in Acts and the Epistles to refer to leaders of the church. The title elder is applied to both men and women. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not sharply rebuke an elder man, but rather appeal to him as a father. The elder woman as mothers. Titus 2, 2 and 3. Elder men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Elder women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. The term elder, presbyteros, is a carryover from biblical Judaism. In fact, the Hebrew term zekin is the equivalent of the Greek term presbyteros and refers to the mature ones. Accordingly, a group of elders, or zekin, oversaw the synagogue. Since there's nothing in the New Testament on how to organize a church, one must surmise that the organizational structure of the Old Testament synagogue was transposed onto the church. According to church historian Philip Schaff, careful study will indeed show that the church, quote, rests historically on the Jewish church. So Christian worship and the congregational organization rest on that of the synagogue and cannot be well understood without it, end quote. See, just as the synagogue elders held different offices with various functions, so did the church elders. Each office of the synagogue elders segued into the office of the church elders. For example, in the synagogue we had the Nazi, or the bishop. That transferred over into the New Testament church, the bishop or pastor teacher. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, Titus 1, 7, Ephesians 4, 11. The synagogue had the, the case or the minister. We see from 1 Timothy 3, 8, 4, 6, and Ephesians 4, 11 that there are those who minister in the church. That could be a deacon, it could be the pastor, teacher, etc. There is in the synagogue the shamash, or the deacon. 1 Timothy 3, 8, 10, 12, and 13. Uh, we have deacons and deaconesses. The shalach in the synagogue, or apostle, Ephesians 4, 11, apostle transferred over to uh, the New Testament church. That would be our equivalent of a missionary. Uh, the rabbi in the synagogue, uh, otherwise known as a prophet or a teller forth of the Bible, a teacher of Scripture, transferred over Ephesians 4.11, the prophet or the teacher of Scripture. 
And then the synagogue had a Magid, or an evangelist. Ephesians 4.11, the office of the evangelist transferred over. And finally, they had a Bat-Hanim in the synagogue, or a pastor-teacher. And in Ephesians 4.11, we see that transfers over to the church. So the elders of the church can be comprised of uh, bishop, minister, deacon, deaconesses, apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now looking at the synagogue's administrative structure, three types of elders emerge. Ruling elders, teaching elders, and traveling elders. And if we were to break that down, your ruling elders would be comprised of uh, the pastor serving as the bishop or the main overseer of the church, pastor, teacher, deacon, and deaconesses. They would uh, be your ruling elders. But they wouldn't be the only elders necessarily in the church. You would also in the church have teaching elders. And again, teaching elder would be the bishop, uh, the pastor teacher, a deacon could be a teaching elder, uh, the prophet or Bible teacher, and the pastor teacher. They would be teaching elders. Uh, and again, not all teaching elders would be ruling elders. Not all ruling elders would be teaching elders. And then there are traveling elders, which would include your apostles or missionaries, your prophets or Bible teachers, and your evangelists. This division of elder types is alluded to in 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Again, 1 Timothy 5.17. Now, teaching elders are usually attached to a particular congregation for a specific length of time. While doing the work of education, traveling elders are not attached to one particular congregation. They usually move from church to church or town to town. The ruling elders mainly have the responsibility of overseeing the work of the ministry, whereas the teaching and traveling elders have responsibilities that involve simply preaching and teaching God's Word. Now, as I mentioned, within this framework, there will be overlap. Again, while not all ruling elders are teaching elders and not all teaching elders are ruling elders, a bishop or pastor teacher could be both. Furthermore, each congregation in the New Testament had a council of elders, a presbyterion, overseen by the bishop who is charged with supervising the congregation's spiritual well-being. 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, or the presbyterion. 1 Timothy 4.14 and this plurality of leadership is God's method for leadership. Scripture consistently refers to a local church in the singular, while the leadership is in the plural. For example, in Acts 11.30, the elders, plural, at the church, singular, of Antioch. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. Acts 15, uh, 2, 4, 6, 22, and 23, Acts 16.3, and Acts 21.8, the elders, plural, at the church, singular, in Jerusalem. Acts 20, verse 17, the elders, plural, at the church, singular, of Ephesus. 1 Thessalonians 5:12 and 13, the congregation, singular, is to respect its leaders, plural. 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders, plural, at the church, singular, of Ephesus. Titus 1.5, Titus was to appoint elders, plural, in every city, singular. James 5.14, the elders, plural, of the church, singular. 1 Peter 5.1 and 2, 
the elders, plural, among you. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Heed the leaders, plural, of the church, singular. Now this plurality of leadership protects the church from a single leader becoming the dictator. A plurality of leadership protects one leader from shouldering the burdens of the church by himself. And furthermore, a plurality of leadership provides a God-given check and balance system for leaders to keep one another biblically balanced and from straying from the faith. Now, as we come to our text in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 1. And I want you to note here the elders' exhortation. The elders' exhortation. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter writes to exhort parakaleo, his fellow elders. The term exhort means to encourage someone in order to build them up. Previously, Peter used this term in 1 Peter 2.11 to urge his readers to a course of action. And as we saw, the Greek term parakaleo relates to the term parakletos, which Christ used to describe the Holy Spirit's ministry of coming alongside us to exhort and encourage us. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos, another helper, that he may be with you forever. And so even though Peter was separated from the other elders, he still came alongside them, albeit through letters, to exhort and encourage them. It's significant that instead of using his apostolic authority to command them, he exhorts them as a fellow elder. By introducing himself as a fellow elder, Peter placed himself on equal footing with the other elders. He was not the chief elder. Nowhere in Scripture is there any hint of Peter making or appointing himself Supreme Pontiff. There are no chief elders. All the elders in the church are on equal footing with one another. And this idea that, well, he's the chief pastor, or he's the head pastor, is dangerous. As we'll see, there is only one head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ the chief shepherd or the chief elder. He's the only one that is the chief elder. All other elders are equal. Now, our ministries may differ. You know, our responsibilities may be different, but we're equal, on equal footing, before a holy God. All elders answer to the chief elder, Jesus Christ. Peter also identifies himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter spent the better part of three years living and serving with Jesus. As such, he witnessed the religious leader's opposition. He was an eyewitness of Jesus' arrest. He listened from the courtyard of the high priest's home during Jesus' trial. And throughout each event, he took note of all that Christ suffered. No doubt what Peter saw impacted his life. And as such, Christ's sufferings have been a frequent theme of this epistle. As Peter has demonstrated, Christ's suffering paved the road to his glorification, 1 Peter 1.21. And so, too, believers must pass through suffering before being glorified. Lastly, Peter identifies himself as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. 
The term partaker, koinonos, relates to the verb share, koinonia, used in 1 Peter 4.13. You share the sufferings of Christ. It means to participate in an activity. The glory is the future reward believers will receive after their time of suffering, 1 Peter 1, 7, and 11. The verb revealed, apocalypto, refers to the revelation of Jesus at the rapture. That Peter will share in the believer's future reward communicates to his readers that he is personally shared in the sufferings of Christ and speaks from experience. Now in verses 2 to 3, we're going to see the elders' oversight. So we have the elders' exhortation in verse 1. Peter is exhorting his fellow elders. Now in verses 2 to 3, we have the elders' oversight. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now the elder's responsibility is twofold, to rule well and to take oversight. The first responsibility to rule well is in 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now the term rule there means to be over, to preside over, to care for, and to direct. This definition provides the elder's job description. Elders preside over the church's business, care for the church's people, and direct them to live lives that glorify the Lord. Elders are to rule well. They are to rule in a manner that is good in effect and in character. The second responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight of the church, as we see here in 1 Peter 5.2. The term shepherd means to tend or herd sheep and emphasizes the function of an elder. The flock refers to the group of believers under the care of the elders. That it is the flock of God means that the church belongs to God, not the members or the leaders. Shepherd the flock is a command, and therefore not optional. It harkens back to Jesus' command to Peter to shepherd my sheep, John 21, 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. As shepherds, Peter's point is that elders lead, feed, and protect their congregation by watching over and guarding their congregation. Peter's exhortation contains both negatives and positive aspects regarding the work of overseeing. The responsibility of exercising oversight is grave in the sense that all leaders will give an account. That is, they will be held responsibility for how they kept watch. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Hebrews 13, 17. Those of you that are elders, you are going to give an account for how you have kept watch over the sheep in your care. How you have led them, how you have fed them, 
and how you have protected them, how you have watched over and guarded. And you're not going to answer to me. You're not going to answer to people. You're going to answer to a holy God. Now, Peter had in mind the message of Ezekiel 34 when he commanded his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God. In Ezekiel 34, God told the elders of Israel that as the shepherds of his flock, they failed him and his people. Thus, he condemns them as evil shepherds. And with such condemnation in mind, Peter provides his fellow elders with three ways in which they can oversee so that they will be commended by God and not condemned by God. Again, 1 Peter 5, 2, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. First, instead of indifference or laziness, elders are to oversee voluntarily. Compulsion implies pressure, force, or obligation. One should not serve as an elder because they've been pressured into it or coerced into service. As well, service should not be done out of a sense of obligation. Service born out of pressure or obligation always produces indifference or laziness. And when suffering or slander comes, those who serve as elders out of pressure or obligation are going to be the first ones to quit. Now, the ministry of eldership should not be viewed as an unwanted burden. Instead, it should be entered into voluntarily, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of a desire to appease people. Voluntarily is doing something willingly and purposefully. As the Holy Spirit burdens an individual to serve, they respond out of a desire rather than duty. The Holy Spirit will equip the call to serve, but the called must respond with a willing heart. So we see that elders need to oversee voluntarily. As well, elders need to oversee eagerly, again verse 2, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Second, rather than be driven by greed, elders are to oversee eagerly. The word sordid gain there means to obtain profit or advantage in a disgraceful manner. When financial gain is one's motive for service, the temptation to dishonestly appropriate money occurs. Hence, we have the many warnings in Scripture to elders about greed or the love of money. 1 Timothy 3, 3 and 8. Free from the love of money. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not fond of sordid gain. First Timothy 6, 10, 11. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Flee these things. Titus 1, 11. Rebellious men must be silenced because they are teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Second Peter 2, 3. False teachers in their greed will exploit you with false words. You see, elders, as stewards of God's flock, we must be trustworthy, 1 Timothy 4.2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And the ministry of eldership is to be performed eagerly. That means that elders serve with interest or desire. It is a term that expresses enthusiasm and zeal. The object of this interest or desires is in others. Instead of serving oneself, which is greed, 
the elder desires to meet the needs of others. So elders need to oversee voluntarily. They need to oversee eagerly. And now verse 3, elders need to oversee exemplary. Exemplary. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. See, rather than be driven by power, elders are to oversee exemplary. The term lords means or implies leadership by manipulation and intimidation. The fact is there are some attracted to leadership because they have a desire for power, preeminence, and prestige. And for some, these things are more desirable than money. Diotrephes was such a person, 3 John verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. See, my friends, an individual who has a domineering spirit can quickly be identified by an unwillingness to listen, or retaliating when criticized, or using Scripture out of context to make a point, or placing their opinions on the same level as scriptural truth, or commanding obedience where Scripture does not. Such a person has a domineering spirit. The Bible says elders are not to be lords over the church. They're not to manipulate the flock. They're not to intimidate the flock. They're not to desire power, preeminence, or prestige. See, shepherding and overseeing God's flock is best done by example. Elders, we must be mindful of the example we are setting. Titus 2, 7, 8. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. We need to lead by example in all things. And an example, Toros, is a pattern or type for others to follow. We are to be an example of good deeds. We're to be an example of doctrinal purity. We're to be an example of dignified conduct. We're to be an example of sound speech. In other words, elders, we need to be beyond reproach so that the opponents of Christianity will be silenced. And we're supposed to be setting that example for the sheep in our flock to follow. We need to remember, elders are leaders, not lords. Dictatorship or authoritarianism has no place in biblical eldership. Jesus is Lord, and as elders, we administrate under His lordship. We do not drive the sheep but we lead them by walking out in front of them. While authority must be exercised, it should never be flaunted. Nor should an elder ever seek to increase it. True biblical authority is not based on power, but service. Mark 10, 42-45 Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So elders were to oversee, were to oversee voluntarily, were not to be pressured into service or forced into service or obligated. We serve willingly. As well, we need to do it eagerly. That is, we're not doing it for what we can get out of it. We're doing it for what we can give. We're doing it to serve the Lord and to serve others. And then we're to oversee exemplary. We're to be examples. Again, in word, in faith, in doctrine, in conduct, in speech. See, elders are good shepherds when they lead, feed, and protect the congregation by watching over and guarding it. My friends, leadership is a responsibility. It is not a privilege. Now third, let's look at the elder's motivation, and we come to verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now serving as an elder is not easy. It is exhausting physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is needful to remember that a crown of glory is promised to those who serve faithfully in their eldership. The reward will be given when the chief shepherd appears. And the verb appears, phanero, refers to the rapture of the church. Peter calls Christ the chief shepherd, which refers to Christ as the one in authority over all other elders. He is the only one to be referred to as chief or chief elder. We've got no business calling somebody in the church chief, boss, Head this or head that. There is equality amongst the leaders of the church. And all leaders answer to the chief elder, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now in his first advent, Christ was called the good shepherd because he laid down his life for the sheep, John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Presently in heaven, Christ is the great shepherd because he's ministering to the sheep of his fold, Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now elders, when we exercise our eldership according to Peter's exhortation, Peter says we will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word will receive... Camizo means to receive something as compensation for one's effort. So here's your motivation to do your eldership well. You will receive as compensation for your eldership a crown of glory. And this crown of glory is given to elders, only elders, who serve faithfully. Now four crowns will be rewarded to believers at the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, there is the crown of rejoicing. That will be given to any believer who faithfully ministers the gospel to the lost. Okay, You'll receive a crown of rejoicing. In James 1.12, there's the crown of life. And that is given to believers who endure trials, testings, and tribulations for Christ's sake. And then there's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8 
which will be given to believers who eagerly wait and look for Christ's return. And as I said in 1 Peter 5, 4, here's the crown of glory that is given faith to believers who faithfully serve as shepherds or elders to God's flock. Now these crowns, Stephanos, are not royal crowns, but crowns of victory. Victory crowns are wreaths of flowers that were awarded to the winners of sporting events or military conflicts. Interestingly, the New Testament depicts the Christian life as both an athletic event and warfare. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. 2 Timothy 2.3-4 Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And unlike the crowns or wreaths of Peter's day, which faded and withered, these crowns are unfading and imperishable. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All elders are going to give an account for how they elder or shepherd the flock of God. Hebrews 13.1 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You see, elder, when you stand before God, you're either going to be a good shepherd, a good elder, or you're going to be an evil shepherd, an evil elder. And those elders who are evil shepherds are going to face God's wrath. Ezekiel 34, verse 7 to 10 and 20 to 21. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, your shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep from them. I will make them cease from feeding sheep, so the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so they will not be food for them. See, there's four separate charges in Ezekiel 34 that determine whether or not an elder is evil. One... They allow God's sheep to become prey to the enemy. Two, they abandon their post. Three, they do not search for the wandering or lost sheep. And four, they feed themselves rather than God's flock. Now, elders who are irresponsible and selfish are guilty of violating God's trust and face a fourfold judgment. So listen very carefully. If you're evil because you've allowed God's sheep to become prey to the enemy, abandoned your post, didn't search for the wandering or lost sheep, fed yourself rather than God's flock, let me tell you something. You're irresponsible and you're selfish. You have violated God's trust. And here's what's coming down the pike. Here's the judgment because judgment begins at the household of God. First, God will consider you his enemy. I am against the shepherds. Second, he's going to remove you from your position. I will demand my sheep from them. Third, he's going to take away your responsibility. He's going to make you cease from feeding sheep. And fourth, he's going to remove your benefits. They will not feed themselves anymore. 
Now, elders, we need to regularly examine ourselves. And we need to be asking, am I a good shepherd or an evil shepherd? And Jesus set the standard for what is expected of good shepherds. Elders who are good shepherd will imitate the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 12, 14 to 16. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will feed them in a good pasture. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. First, they will care for the sheep. Instead of being self-serving, elders will attend to the spiritual needs of those under them. And elder, you need to beware of viewing the weak, the spiritually weak, as an annoyance. Second, good shepherds, good elders, will feed the sheep. That is, they will seek to opportunities to minister the Word of God to the people entrusted to their care. The Word must be taught. Third, good elders will provide rest for the sheep. The term rest, rebash, implies safety. In other words, elders seek to make the church a place of safety, both physically and spiritually. Fourth, good shepherds or good elders seek the lost sheep. Again, you need to be careful as elders of viewing the lost as hopeless. Listen, if a sheep becomes lost, go out and find that lost sheep. And so, well, that's his job or that's her job. Let somebody else do that. Listen, if God puts that person on your heart, you go get them. I'll go get the people God puts on my heart. You get the people God puts on your heart. At the end of the day, all God's people will be gotten. Fifth, they will restore the scattered sheep. Beware of viewing the straying sheep as being not worthy of pursuing. We need to seek to restore the sheep who has sinned but repents. Number six. Good elders, good shepherds, bind up the herding sheep. Again, we need to beware of viewing the injured as, quote-unquote, slowing down the ministry. We need to be giving hope to those who are discouraged, those who are despondent. Seventh, good elders, good shepherds, strengthen the sickly sheep. Again, we don't view the sick as an inconvenience. We strive to encourage those who are weak and grieving. You see, while Jesus has set the standard, that doesn't mean that if an elder fails to hit each standard, they're automatically an evil shepherd. That's not the case. Paul himself stated that he was striving to be like Christ, but he had not yet attained. The key is striving. A leader, an elder who is not striving for the standards needs to be counseled and even perhaps corrected. But a leader who refuses counseling, a leader who refuses correction, needs to be removed from leadership because they are demonstrating the characteristic of an evil shepherd. Again, evil elders can be identified in four ways. Are they placing their interest above their sheep? Are they neglecting their work? Are they ruling with force and harshness? Are they scattering the sheep? If someone's identified as an evil shepherd, they need to be immediately removed from their position. So those of you who are elders and are listening, consider your ways. We need to examine ourselves constantly. 
We need to be making corrections where corrections need to be made. We need to constantly be striving to imitate Jesus Christ. God has placed a great work upon those who serve as elders. And therefore, we're commanded to pray for our leaders. As well, we're commanded to obey and submit to them because they watch over our souls. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this message that you have given us today. We thank you for this text. Father, it is a great responsibility that you have placed upon us who serve as elders in whatever function or capacity we may be serving in. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be found to be good shepherds, good elders, and not evil. Lord, we confess that we're far from perfect. There's always room for improvement. And, Father, as your Spirit indwells us and leads and directs us as leaders, that we would examine ourselves and make corrections, make course changes as necessary. Father, I pray that you might protect us, protect this flock, Protect this flock from evil shepherds, Father. Protect someone from coming in as a grievous wolf and getting into leadership and destroying this flock. Father, I pray as judgment comes, and as it begins here in the church, that, Father, I know it's going to begin here with the elders, with those who lead. And so, Father, when that judgment comes and as it comes, as you examine us, Father, I pray that you would find us Serving not for sordid gain, not with intimidation or manipulation, not driven by power, but rather, Lord, that we might serve as examples, that we might serve eagerly, and that, Lord, we might serve voluntarily. Help us to that end, we pray. In your Son's precious name, amen.